it's been very exciting for me, and I'm hoping that you are learning something from uh, this exposition from the book of Hebrews. So tonight we go to chapter 8, uh, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. And again, in verse 1 it says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying. In other words, what he's saying is, chapter 8 brings us to the summary of everything we have learned so far from Hebrews chapters 1 through 7. This is the main point. King James says, this is the summary of all the things we've, we've been talking about thus far. Okay? We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So, in this verse 1, it's reminding, of, it reminding us again of Jesus' present day position. He wants you and I to never forget that unlike the Levitical priesthood who's ever passing away because the priest do die and therefore that priesthood is not continuing, he says to us right here, this is the summary. What's the summary? That we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now, if you remember last week, we addressed what Jesus is sitting down doing. Yes. And then you, you, you should be able to contrast his position with the position of the Levitical priesthood under the old covenant who never sat. Their work was never done. It was never finished. And therefore, they continually stood and kept on serving, kept on sacrificing. But Jesus... Because it's made a once and for all sacrifice. Yes. After that sacrifice, there's nothing else that needs to be done concerning our redemption. Yes. And so as a result of that, he sits. He sits. Now, as a believer, it is important for us to also connect Jesus' present position with ours. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that you and I, as born-again believers, have been made to sit together with him Amen. in the heavenly places. Amen. The only reason we can sit is because we have the assurance that everything else is taken care of. We're not sitting from a posture of loafing or goofing off, but we are sitting from the position of knowing everything that needs to be done has already been accomplished. Is done. Amen. That's a powerful uh, place to be. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 2 says, is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Now, the priest under the Levitical priesthood, you guys are familiar with the, all the bond offerings and all the various offerings that took place, and they would all, always offer some kind of animal depending on the offerings that was required. But here, in Jesus' case, he did not have to offer an animal sacrifice. He offered himself. He was the sacrifice. Okay? Verse 4 says, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. 
who serve the copy and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now, this, this is the point here. This writer is trying to help us understand, number one, Jesus' sanctuary is not the one that's built by man. The sanctuary under which the Old Testament or the Old Covenant function was an instruction that God gave to Moses and Moses, a man, built it. Okay? But Jesus today is sitting in the sanctuary in the heavenly places and where he is compared to what we saw in the Levitical system the Levitical system was only a copy or a shadow of the real. So for 1500 years those guys served in something that was just a shadow of the reality that you and I have now. Amen? Amen. Now, it gets more interesting. Verse 6. Let, let, me, let me say this before I move to verse 6. This writer is trying to impress upon us that what Jesus' ministry cannot be compared with the ministry of the priesthood that preceded him. Yes. He can't even go there at all. Okay? So now, he's about to begin to tell us why in verse 6. But now, he has obtained a more excellent ministry. What made his ministry more excellent than the previous one? I'll tell you. The ministry under the law was a ministry of the letter of the word. Letter of the word. Okay, he told you what to do, what not to do. The law itself was not bad, but it was weak in that it could not help me to do what he's telling me to do. Yes. He told me what to do and what not to do, but he could not do anything about my inability to do it or not to do it. Oh, yes. But the ministry that Jesus has now is an excellent ministry in that it's not just a ministry of the letter of the word, but the spirit of the word. Amen. Huge difference. Huge difference. I can know the letter, but I lack the spirit to fulfill it. But when I have the spirit of it, I may not even know every alphabet of the letter, but because I have the spirit of it, I can do it. You see the difference? Huge. Huge difference. So, as opposed to having a letter of the word, you and I have come into the excellence of the spirit of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ by having partaken of the excellent ministry. And you're gonna you're gonna see that more as we go along. So, number one, he's obtaining more excellent ministry. Secondly, in as much as he's also a mediator of a better covenant. You know what a mediator is. A mediator is a person who stands between two opposing parties. The mediate brings them together. Come and have an agreement. So Jesus today is the mediator for us of a much better covenant. And that's why he sits in heaven at the right hand of the throne of the Father to ensure that everything for which he's paid the price for 
concerning you and I is accomplished. And we're not shortchanged. Now, the better covenant, what makes this covenant better than the old? What makes it better than the old? Pardon me? Because the old one did not have the Holy Spirit. Yeah? But there are more reasons than that. Yes. For everyone, actually. It comes with grace and also mediates for everyone. Okay. That's a, ve- that's a very good point that it comes with grace. Okay. Um, it's a better covenant because this covenant is not based on works. It's not based on works. It's not based on my performance. It is based on grace. True. But better still, it is based on my ability to believe and receive it. That's all I have to do in this, in this particular covenant. Okay? It's not based on my performance. It's not based on my works. It's based on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is attained by my simply believing and receiving it. Instead of earning and deserving it. A lot easier. Amen? Okay? But it's also established on better promises. Now, let, let's just read what those promises are. And uh, in verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So right here, the Bible tells us, if the first one was not faulty, there would be no need for a second one. So the fact that there's a second one is an implication that the first one was not adequate. All right, because finding fault with them, he says, and this is a quote directly from Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel chapter 36. So, way back under the old covenant, God saw ahead and said, You know what? A day is coming where we're going to establish something that's better than what you guys have. Okay, okay, let, let me read it. it said, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. So right here in verse 9, because they did not continue, they did not perform, they did not live according to the dictates of this law. God disregarded them under the old covenant. Verse 10. Better promises. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Ah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Better promises. I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts. Where was the first, uh, under the old covenant, where was the law written? On a tablet of stone. Outside, external from man. It was on a tablet of stone and a man had to read it to the people. So God said, you know what? I'm going to make it a little simpler. Under this covenant of grace, I'm going to write it in your mind and put it on your heart. Now let me ask you this. I know I was talking to uh, Pastor Tosin yesterday 
And I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I will do something and then the revelation will catch up with me later. And this may be your experience as well. Whereby you, you may be prompted to act in a particular way, not necessarily having chapter and verse when you are doing it. Weeks later, months later, the chapter and verse show up to confirm what you did months ago. Yes, sir. How did that happen? Because God wrote in your mind and your heart. Yes. That's the distinction between the covenant of the law and the covenant of grace. Yes, sir. Why? Two weeks ago I was telling you that mind is triune. This is important. And when you became born again, mind is triune. Your spirit you live in a soul, you have a body. As a born again believer, the moment you got born again, your spirit man was perfected. No, there's nothing else that ever has to be done to your spirit. Born again, you receive God's DNA in you. Everything that you will ever need as a born again believer was deposited in your spirit. Well, you still have an appetite to smoke a cigarette. You still want to eat everything you can see. Why? Because your soul and your body is not saved. Your spirit is perfected. Your soul and your body have to catch up with what your spirit already knows. The point I'm making is this. Because of that, there are things that your spirit knows, has known for years, that you you may not know in your mind or in your body until those aspects of you catch up with the spirit mind. So here, under the new covenant, the Bible is saying, this is very, very important. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Yes. Verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor <laughs> and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. So now all of a sudden under the new covenant, every one of us has the ability under God to learn, to grow, to know God ourselves. Yes. Because God, the unction, the Holy Spirit is the anointing, is the one that teaches us. Yes. Verse 12. Now we are dealing with now with the aspect of the better promises. These promises were not given to the old covenant people. Okay? Verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Thank you, Father. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So many people have a lot of difficulty with this, with this because it's, it's so simple. We, we, we just can't believe it's, it can be this simple. Yes. I, I'm one of them. I had, I had that challenge for, for a while. Yes. Wow. To, say, to think that God can say, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. What? Can you change yes. What? But, but that's, that's, that's God. Wow. That's God. Why? He does not want me to live in a sin consciousness. Rather, he wants me to live in the consciousness, consciousness of the presence of his son. 
Now, does that, does that, does that, does this say that we have to live, continue to live in sin? No, 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 no. No, in fact, in fact, the more you study grace and the more you study uh, the writings of Jesus and the writings of Paul, two things become apparent. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, constantly spoke about two different extremes. In the first one, he said you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What is that? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, which is bound in the law. In other words, they have all these laws, all these rules, all these regulations that they themselves can never fulfill what they're going to hang in on your neck. So he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Really talking about the letter of the law. And the hypocrisy in trying to fulfill it, knowing they can never fulfill it. But on the other hand, he swings that pendulum back. He says, beware of the leaven of Herod. Which is worldliness. That's what it is. Now, when you now go to Pauline Epistles and look at what Paul's written constantly in the book of Galatians, the book of Corinthians, over and over and over Paul talk about the law and the letter of the law how the law, no man can be perfected under the law but then he comes back and balances that by teaching about the works of the flesh so you see it's like there are two pillars within which you and I must find our place and live within those two pillars the one on, the, on one hand where we're not trying to live under the law, but on the other hand, because we have liberty and we have grace, does not mean we should live a lifestyle that imbibes the leaven of Herod. Amen? Grace enables us to see Jesus as he is and appreciate him for what he's done, and as a result of that, receive the empowerment by the Holy Spirit to live a life that honors him and honor one another. Amen? That's chapter 8. It's very short. Tonight. Any questions? Any questions? It's too simple? I, I, I don't want to get into the uh, various, the differences between the two covenants. There are so many Things we can talk about, but that will take a long time. I'll do that some other night. Uh, but chapter 8 just wants to help us understand the superiority of the new covenant versus the old. Any questions? Okay. Uh, means uh, when it says, now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. What exactly is that uh, chapter referring to? It's, it, verse 13, it says, okay, let me read it. In that day, he says, <clears throat> in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. So he's, he's quoting God. God said, I'm going to give you a new covenant. So the writer is saying, for God to mention that I'm going to give you a new covenant, that means that the old is already obsolete. Yes. And unfortunately, this, this is what happens to us. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works. We know that. But many of us experientially, one day we live in grace, the next day we go under the law. Yes, back sir. and forth like a yo-yo. That's what happens. Yes, sir. That's what happens. But God wants you, 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 he wants you to know, 
everything that you can ever think that you will ever need to succeed is already done. It's done. That's why he's sitting. He's not at work. Because it's already done. And you can see the prototype of that in Genesis itself. Before Adam and Eve ever came, was there anything they needed that God had not made before they came? He brought them forth after everything was ready for them. Now, remember what we said at the beginning. Rest is not a vacation. Being in rest in God does not mean you cease from working. I mean, when I say from working, I'm talking about works of righteousness. You are not working to please God. You are not working to earn, to, to, to receive merit, to be a child of God. No. You are working as a result of your experience with God to accomplish and do something for God. You are not engaged in dead works. But whatever you do, you are doing from the standpoint of victory. From a position of knowing, it's a done deal. It's a very radical thinking. How would, how mm-hmm. would we characterize or just get a hold of belief? I believe. <laughs> yes, I believe. Uh, how, in myself, yeah. uh, there is grace. I believe uh, there is a measurement and I keep on falling and I know if I believe and I've concluded by myself, nobody else can can look at my my belief to tell me what rate or where I am in my status of belief. And uh, grace is there, but in the worldly situation, I keep on falling in there and, and, and jumping out. Does my belief still cover me? Uh, I mean, I'm guaranteed, yes. I'm, I'm covered. But <laughs> in the world, I, I, I keep on falling. You know, what, what is going to happen to me? When you fall, you get up. <laughs> Hopefully, you don't see on the ground. <laughs> I'm, give it to Pastor Maria. I'm trying to understand what your question is. Let's ask it, really. It's, it's difficult, sir. It's just, okay, I say I believe. Oh, okay, let, let me tell you what, what I understand from the scriptures. Yes. And then maybe she, maybe she can add some insight to that. Whatever God has done and I've, I've made available to you, my only obligation, your only obligation is to believe it and walk in it. Okay, so so what do you mean by you keep on falling? I don't. Well, truly, I believe, and I'm 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 in the world. I, you know, I, I I sleep, I get up, oh, sure. and somebody smashes my toe, and I jump right out again, and uh, I realize, okay, the belief part, I don't think it changes, but the worldly part of somebody cuts me off, and. And I say something that I shouldn't, you know. But my belief is still there, and I'm working hard to make sure uh, this part of me is covered. So in the end... Whatever the case is, you are covered. Thank you. 
I, I don't know if you're trying to express your human emotion or how you respond or react in certain situations. Is that what you are talking about? I mean, the fact that somebody cuts you off and you get angry does not mean you stop believing. Anger is an emotion that God gives all of us. It's, it's, it's like a dashboard telling you something is happening. Take notice. It's how you get angry. It's what you do when you're angry. That's what may be a different situation. Everybody gets angry. God was angry. He had righteous indignation. And it did not, it did not make him an unbeliever. Yes. Okay? okay. Let, let me hear what she has to say. Maybe she will help clarify. The Old Testament was a conditional covenant. Yes. And it was so conditional for Solomon. If you do this, then I will do that. And when Israel abandoned that covenant, God also did the same. Correct. Now, the New Testament, it's a covenant of a promise. And it's based upon that inner spiritual change. So this is my question. Oh, so you're not answering this this question. (laughs) Okay. 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 What would it take for the soul? Yeah. To cause parallel change after change has taken place spiritually. What would it take for the soul to correspond with the change that's taking place in the spirit? To cause parallel change. Oh, okay. Okay. Good question. Let's go to the scriptures. James. James, I believe, chapter 1. That's a very, very good question. Verse. 21. James 121. This is what it says. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So the point here is I'm a born again believer. My spirit mind is perfected because it's been recreated in the image and likeness of God. If any man be in Christ, it's a new creation. All things are possible. Behold, all things are become new. My spirit. Her question. How does my soul become parallel with what's happening to me internally? I have to give myself to the reading of the word of God. I have to receive the word in myself. Read. The word I'm receiving is not, it's not for my spirit. My spirit knows the word. Because when I'm reading, what am I engaged? My mind. Yes. So I'm reading. I'm reading. Oh, wow. This is what God says. Yes, we say yes. I'm glad you finally come on board. Yes. So you read more. You read more. You learn more. And you're receiving, and you're taking in what you're reading. After a while, there'll be integrity. You become more, you become more complete. Because now, what your spirit knows your soul is known and embraced it, and then you leave it out in your body. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. And that's what Third John was talking about. Third John was still. I believe above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Yes. You see? So, my, so I still have to give myself to the reading of the word of God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing 
the word of truth. The Bible talks that the word of God is given to us, what? To teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us, so that the man of God can be complete. Why do we need to, to be complete? Because I have a soul, I mean, I have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Amen? Amen. I think she will have something and prof. Question, sir. Huh? I have half a question. Sorry, I think it's along the lines of the question that he was asked, which yes. is to say uh, his definition of belief is okay. really you know what you had described, you know, how your spirit is perfected. Yes. And you know, if the human emotion takes over uh, certain activities that we do. Uh, you know, somebody pushes your car, you responded, uh, you know, in a bad way. Uh, what, what does that happen? What happens to you, you know, uh, in eternity? I think that's kind of what he was Oh, no, okay. All right. Are you going to answer that for him or? Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, let me follow the second part of my question. <laughs> okay, give it to him. What about my mother who doesn't know how to read? That... Maybe I have to read to her. Or if I'm not chance to read to her, she cannot read. How does she get this word in, in her to, to, to bring it all together? Very good question. Uh, when you see Jesus, you mean after asking that <laughs> But you're asking a very, very... Because we have a lot of people that live in primitive, primitive places. They're not literate. But, but on a serious note, missionaries and missional organizations are developing what they call oral teachings. For people like that who may not be able to read or write, and they're using the concept of um, oral, what they call oral presentation of the gospel. Which is really like what we did with Nitra, what you guys saw with Nitra uh, missions, Nitra uh, missions. Yeah, that's the name, uh, Itau and all of that stuff, where they use pictures and skits to dramatize the gospel in a way that people can get it and it's working very powerfully. Yes. Yeah. So for like your mother or your grandmother that you just described, you uh, uh, get tapes. They're available now in virtually every vernacular language, right. and she listened to them over. And over and over, and the rest is the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So sometimes we, we, we try to figure out in our mind and say, "Wow, Daddy can read, Mama can read, and all that stuff." And if the heart is there, God knows how to connect Himself with those individuals. Yes, we've seen the testimonies; we're hearing them all over the world. It's happened already. So there's nothing beyond. The Bible says God will never leave Himself without a witness. Yes, sir. In their hearts. Ecclesiastes is there. Eternity. There's a yearning within yes. every person that God has created to be connected back to the Creator. Yes. Yes. And God does that. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that scripture. Yes. Yeah. What's wrong with that mic? Yeah, the, the Hebrews 8, um, I think in verse, verse 10, it says, I will put my laws into their minds. Yep, and I will write them on their hearts. So even in the hearts of those that have not read this, yes, they know the difference between evil and good. Correct. 
they know if they have the conscience. Correct. God has inscribed, you know, uh, has um, sensitized their conscience. Amen. So um, they know they know what is bad. Amen. They also know what is good. But I was um, going to piggyback to uh, our sister's uh, question and uh, just to follow up with the answer that you gave. Yes. Uh, on how uh, the you know the mind would be made to be at par with the with the spirit. Yes. Um, uh, Paul tells us that we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh-huh. Correct. Of course, it boils down to having the word. Yes. Uh, of course, the soul has the mind, has the uh, emotions, and also has the um, will. The will. And so, uh, you know, the word of God makes clear. Every aspect of the soul has been taken care of. Amen. The emotions, if we operate by the, by the fruit of the Spirit, love. So that is the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So love is there, and so we can have those uh, healthy emotions. So that is taken care of. If it comes to the will... It says, for it is God who is at work with you, but to will and to do even of his own good pleasure. Amen. Amen. So the, all the faculties of the soul has been taken care of by the word of God. Amen. He has given us the mind of Christ. Amen. It's for us to believe that Amen. and to work according to it. That. Amen. So, and, and that's a very good point you just made. Believing what God has done. Yes. That's, that's the major issue in the new covenant. The believism. Just believe it. It's huge. It's huge. Yes. The question was asked uh, if someone believes and they're in the world and then they fall, then what? And you responded by saying you get back up. And someone might ask, well, what, what does that look like? <laughs> okay. And from my own experience, something that's become very important to me, in First John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Yes. This, this is a promise. You know, we're, we're talking about better, better promises in the new yes. covenant. This is a promise that we have. God, God has given us his, his his word yes. that if we come to him, we confess our sins. He he anticipated that we were going to have the need yes. to, to to find forgiveness. That there there would there would be a lapse yes. from time to time in our faith, and yes. but that puts us right back on track with where we need to be with God because we're saved by grace. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Amen. Yes. I was just hoping I can help Brother Greg. Okay. Um, I think Brother Greg is trying to express that not always is his behavior or his response to situation the way he believes that God would want him to respond. In Galatians 5.16, I think it is, it says that it says, this I say, then walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other, 
so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So the question is, how does one live by the Spirit? That has always been, it had been my question in the past. Well, I first have to believe that the Spirit of God is with me. A lot of times we tend to walk independently of God. We walk independently of the Spirit and we forget everything we have been you know, learning from our pastors or books that we have read or whatever. We, we function independently. So for every confrontation or every fork for transgression, we really have to yield to the Spirit of God so that we do not function contrary to his word. Amen. Amen. And, and that's where you, you have something? Are you going to say something? Prof? Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just going to say what was I going to say? Yeah, that's, that's where the believing, believing comes in because for most of us when that situation happens it's not as if we don't know God's position on it. For the most part, we do. We know what God's position is. The issue is, will I yield to that position? Or will I rather do what I want to do? That's where we get in trouble. And a lot of times, by yielding to that God's position, may not bring you the short-term immediate gain. Yes. And that's what you say, no, it's not that attractive. But God knows the end result of that short-term situation. And he says, if you just trust me in this situation, because I've lived here longer than you, I've finished it before I began it. If you just commit and just trust me with this phase of your life, this decision you're trying to make, and just trust me, you will see that God will hasten to perform his word. And his word will not return to to him void. It's a daily thing. Sometimes even a moment-by-moment moment thing. Decisions that we have to make. You know what the word of God says, but you know the preference in your flesh in that situation. Yes. I was saying that the fact that I know that I have fallen yes. is a plus to me because I didn't know that before. Yes. It means that the spirit is working yes. in, in me. Yes. Um, the, the, the question I have... Now, that's, that's a very good point. Do, do, let, let's stay there for a minute. Yes. It's, it's possible for people's conscience to be so seared that wrong becomes normal. Yes. Hmm? Repeat it. I say it's, it's possible for people's conscience to be so seared where wrong becomes normal. Yes. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a very dangerous place. I mean, you saw it with David. He cut the robe of Saul's uh, garment. And the Bible said immediately his heart smote him. Yes. Who told him that what he did was wrong? The Spirit of God. But he now responded to that spirit. So it's important for us not to grieve the Holy Spirit when it brings things to our attention. Because if you do that long enough, it's not that it stops bringing things to your attention but you're so dull now in hearing, you don't even respond any longer. Yes. Dangerous. Yes. Um, it's going back to 
chapter 6. I don't know whether <laughs> you had. Yeah, I did. Well, go ahead and David, I ask. Yes, I don't know what your take was on that. Oh, yes. we had a very great, it was a very, very wonderful dialogue. Ah, four minutes left. I can't go there now. Okay. Right. Yeah, but, but I can talk to you about that privately. Yes, but I did. Yes, it was a very, he's talking about a very difficult passage in uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Yeah, where it talks about how a person that's enlightened, a person that's partaking of the Holy Spirit, a person that's tasted of the world to come, that if they are to fall away, they cannot be renewed back unto repentance. You know, I, I, I'll just say this. Whenever you're looking at these very difficult passages, don't ever try to, try to interpret them in isolation. Always be mindful of the context yes. in which it's all written. Yes. Because that chapter 6 immediately followed chapter 5 where Paul addressed the fact that these guys were, they've been long as a believer, but yet they still were like little children. Yes. That's what flew down to Hebrews chapter 6. And it talks about all the foundations of the, uh, the principles of the foundations of the doctrine of Christ. On and on and on. And then it goes on, chapter, uh, verses 4 through 6 and 7. It begins to talk about those kind of people. Yeah, but it's very interesting uh, dialogue. But it, it took us a good 20, 25 minutes to get into that two, three weeks ago. Amen. <laughs> All right. Is that it? You guys still love Jesus? Oh. You are convinced that he's absolutely more glorious than Aaron, than Moses, than the angels, and that his priesthood is most supreme, and that he rules and reigns. Huh? And so, Father, we just thank you tonight. We bless your name for our time together. We pray that you will help us to be believers who are yielding to the promptings of your spirit. He said, when we're willing and obedient, we will eat of the fat of the land. And so we thank you. As your people go home tonight, bless them. We receive Johnny mercies, and we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have a great night, in Jesus' name.